All right, let's be seated, and if you could open, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Two weeks ago, actually I think it was three weeks ago, we began chapter 5, and we looked at the first 11 verses, 11, or first 12 verses, actually, and I'd like to read those just to kind of get a context for what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, in your bulletin it says that we're going to get through verse 20, but we're really only going to get through verse 16. And, uh, but let's go ahead and read this first 12 verses. And uh, so it says, And seeing the multitudes, <clears throat> Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed or truly happy, exceedingly happy, are the poor in spirit, <laughs> for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you, when, you re, when, when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, remember, uh, last time we were together, we looked at this list these uh, blessednesses, these beatitudes. Remember that these are attitudes of the kingdom of Christ for those who are born again, to those who belong to Jesus. And remember, we looked at uh, the promises attached to each one of those beatitudes. Notice there's, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then the promise follows it, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed are those who mourn, and then the promise following it, for they shall be comforted. These are things that Jesus promises. Because these are attitudes that as believers we ought to have. And it's also to be noted that these beatitudes are exactly the opposite of what we see in the world today. In fact, the kingdom of Satan is the kingdom of this world. The Bible says that he is the ruler of this world. And for a time, yes, he has. He is for a season. God is allowing it for a season. But we know his end is coming. But in this world that is ruled by Satan, there is no tolerance or sympathy for these beatitudes. There's no tolerance or sympathy for someone who is poor in spirit because in Satan's economy, might makes right. Meaning the most powerful wins. The one with the most money wins. The big guy with the biggest toys, he wins. So there's no tolerance or sympathy for somebody who is poor in spirit in this world under Satan's dominion. There's also no tolerance or sympathy for those who mourn over their own sin and failure. Or someone who is um, meek. And not to be confused with weak, but meekness is power, uh, great power under restraint. One way to look at that. And in the kingdom of Satan, there's no tolerance for somebody who hungers and thirsts after righteousness or someone who is merciful or someone who is pure in heart or is a true peacemaker. 
And there's certainly no tolerance for someone who is persecuted for righteousness sake because, again, might makes right. Might makes right in this world. So these are attitudes that weren't even evident or fostered in the religious leaders of Jesus' day. In fact, you remember what Jesus had to say about them. It's recorded for us in Matthew 23. And let me just read it to you. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. And here he's drawing a comparison, or we're going to see a comparison, with these beatitudes of the kingdom of God. And we're going to see how Jesus really took the Pharisees, the scribes, and the, the, the Sadducees, He really took them to task because they were the ones who were supposed to be giving the truth. They were the ones that were supposed to be heralding Jesus, to be talking about him, to be bringing people to him. But instead, they were more focused on their own selves, on getting rich and getting popularity and prestige. They weren't considered considering anybody else but themselves. And unfortunately, even in the church today, there are many churches, many pastors, many televangelists. They could care less about the people. Just make sure that the money keeps flowing. And make sure that the air conditioning is still on in my house in the Cayman Islands. These things ought not to be. And Jesus gives the Beatitudes. These are attitudes that we want to foster, that ought to be evident in our life. And certainly God is working them into us if we're willing to submit to him. But he really took the Pharisees and the scribes to task because they were supposed to be the ones leading people to Christ, but instead they were leading them away from him. And Jesus tells them, notice in verse 23, it says, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe that observe and do but do not do according to the works for they say and they do not and there is the problem they have a lot of talk but there's no walk after it and see our relationship with Christ ought to be one where we talk the talk but Lord help us by your grace to walk the walk amen to walk the walk and he goes on and Jesus berides them when in, in verse 13 he says but woe to you sorrow To you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This word hypocrites is a word that you have heard this many times before, but it's it's in the Greek tragedies and the Greek plays, how they would hold up those little placards and, and it would be like a smiley face or it would be a frown and the faces would be put over the actor as they would go around the stage in the Greek dramas. They were hypocrites, hypocritos, because they would they were acting something they weren't. Behind that mask could be somebody who's falling apart, but the mask is showing smiles. And that's what Jesus called these men, these religious men. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. And and he goes on, and and, and there's a lot here, but let me just summarize uh, and get to the bottom of this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 23, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides. (laughs) Who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. You Woe to you, scribe and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. But even so, you also appear outwardly righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. Yes, he was calling them to task. These men should have been all born again. They should have all been followers of Christ. We know that they weren't. They were leading people away from Christ. They were jealous of Jesus. And Jesus now, in this chapter, is drawing a very stark difference between the world and the church. The world's beatitudes, we've just read some of them. The attitudes of the world and Satan and his kingdom are those things that we just read in Matthew 23, those attitudes of the Pharisees and the scribes. But we are to have a different mindset. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? Let the mind of Christ be our mind. And so we get into verse 13, and let's just read 13 down through 16. Notice what it says. So after these beatitudes, these attitudes of the kingdom, Jesus says to his disciples, Now you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It it is then good for nothing but to be thrown down and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, under a, uh, but, uh, uh, but, excuse me, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So here's the exhortation for us this morning. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you and send you money in the mail. Does it say that? No. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Yes, to glorify him. It's him that's, he is the one that is working in me. I don't have anything left to myself. All I can do is step in puddles and make a mess of my life. That's all I can do. But praise God that he's given me his Holy Spirit and has given it to you as well. If you are a believer in Christ, you have the Spirit of God in you. If the Spirit of Christ is not in you, no matter what you may do, no matter what you may think, no matter how much money you've given to the church or to religious causes, you are not a Christian if the Spirit of God is not in you. That's what the Bible says. You're none of His. So how important is it for us to be born again? It's imperative. It's something that we all need to do. We all need to receive Christ. And it's not hard to be born again. You just have to be an honest heart. You have to be honest and willing to examine your own self and notice what Christ did and believe what he did. It's really that simple. The gospel is very simple, folks. You know this. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Jesus died in my place and and took the punishment for the, the sin that I deserve or for the punishment that I deserved. And all I need to do is believe in him, that his blood was sufficient to pay for that sin and that he is going to, he's preparing a place for us. He's coming back for us. Hallelujah. 
May it be before the end of the, maybe it be right now. That'd be really nice. But that's the gospel. I'm a sinner, but God saved me. Because of the righteousness of Christ, he paid the penalty for my sin. It's really simple. If you believe that and you ask God into your heart, he is not going to refuse you. And then after that, don't just continue back to your normal life. No, start getting into the word of God. Start going to church. Start attending prayer services and really get plugged in. And your life is going to change dramatically because the spirit of God is doing it in you. And he's encouraging you to do those things. Do you have a desire to be sanctified, to be purified? Do you have a desire to put off those things that have been plaguing you all of your life? Those addictions, those, those hints, those little temptations that we all have? Are you caving into them? Or are you more, as time goes on, are you pushing those things away from you and allowing distance and total freedom? Yes, being set free from sin is freedom. The world will say, well, in order to be free, I need to, just, I need to do what I want, you know, and just have fun and, and just go out into the field and smell the roses and... And, 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 and take the drugs and have multiple partners and, and do all this stuff. They call that freedom. And the devil says, oh, it's freedom. And sin is pleasurable for a season, but then the bill comes due. We can't pay that bill. We can't pay it. And then your life's a mess and you wonder why. Why? Because you've ignored the clear word of God. That is why your life is a mess. Because you've ignored Jesus Christ. You've ignored his word and you've shunned him and said, no, thank you, I can do it better. And a heart that is like that is a very dangerous place. But notice back in verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He's talking to believers now. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing. And it's only good to be thrown out and trampled under the, underfoot. And there are some uses for salt, even in, in the culture back then. Uh, the first one is preservation. In Jesus' day, Salt was used to keep fish and other meat from decaying. When the fishermen would come in, they wouldn't pack it nice and put it in a big refrigerator. They would pack it in salt because they didn't have refrigerators. It, was, it preserved, it kept the, the decay at bay. It, it, it prevented decay. It prevented it. And the life and the witness that we are and the words that we speak... And, uh, and are to act as a, they act as a preservative to our culture, but not to preserve the culture, but to preserve the truth of the word of God. That's, that's what, what it's all about. We are to be salt. We are a preservative for those, for this culture that we live in. One author said this, he said, if there was ever a day when the earth needed Christians to keep their testimony and influence, it's, it is this day of the X-rated home movie, internet pornography, and the marching sodomite. Yes, the pride parades. If there's ever a day for our influence and our testimony, it's today, because we are to preserve the truth and to be a catalyst to slow down the spread of sin. And we're going to see this dynamic as we look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 a little bit later on. But salt also adds a flavor and a fragrance. In 2 Corinthians, it tells us, Paul says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and 
through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Our life ought to give off a fragrance, and there is a, uh, 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 we have a, um, there's a flavor, if you will, about our life. There is a fragrance. There ought to be. That's what draws people to us. When everyone else is freaking out and going crazy and taking pills and drinking and, and losing their minds, the Christian can stand and say, I'm at peace. I can be at peace unless I forfeit my peace because I watch too much news. And if you watch too much news, your peace is going to be stolen away. I know this because I was in the Adirondacks for 10 days and we didn't have internet connection up there very much. It was like the wind. It came in and went out, but most of the time it was out. And I found myself refreshed for the first time in a very long time. Why? Because I wasn't looking for the news. I wasn't looking at the news. And I found myself getting really pieced out. In fact, one time I remember sitting there by the fire with my coffee, my Bible, and I could hear the loons out on the lake and it was just still and beautiful, and I thought to myself, wow, I think my blood pressure just went down 100 points. I would encourage you to do the same. Pray. <laughs> we'll look at that later. But notice, another use for salt is what does, it do? what does it do? It creates thirst. Through the testimony of our lives, we create a thirst for many, don't we? They want what we have, and they can have it. They can have the peace, the assurance, the forgiveness, the love, and the compassion, and the grace. And people see it in action in, their li in our lives, and hopefully they do, and they want it. They want it. Our life ought to make others thirsty for a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know it because people are hanging around you and they're unstable. They're, 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 they're not doing well. And yet you're the stabilizing factor in, in your, perhaps in your workplace. I remember when 9-11 happened, everyone in my whole group at Xerox knew that I was a Christian. And I remember I was on the phone because I was working in customer and technical support and and I was just getting off the phone with a customer, and I, and I noticed there was a line of people outside my door. Because unbeknownst to me, the first plane had hit. And they wanted to know what was going on. And then the Pentagon. And then, and then the thing in, in Pennsylvania. And they wanted to know what is going on. You're the Christian. What's going on? And I was able to tell them this spiritual battle that's happening between Islam and America and, and Christian, Christianity. But there ought to be a thirst that is provoked by those around us. Whether they want to admit it or not, if they would be willing to admit it, they'd be thirsty and they'd say, you know what, I, I can't stand you. But there's something that you have I just don't have. I don't have the resources available to me. I've tried finding my solace in the bottom of a bottle. I've tried to find my solace in the, at the end of a blunt. I've tried to find my solace at the end of relationships that I have. I've come to nothing. And why is it that you are walking around with a smile on your face? I just want to hit you. you know. And that's the way people feel. They're like, well, don't hit me, brother, but let me tell you what, what, it, what it's all about. 
But salt is also used as an antiseptic. Wounds were often purified with salt. They did this back in World War II and World War I when they'd be out in the field. They'd apply salt to the wound. It's an antiseptic. Today, especially during COVID, doctors would encourage gargling with salt and using a neti pot to flush your sinuses with salt and warm water. And the truth stings, doesn't it? It is an antiseptic. It does hurt. The truth often hurts, but when we apply the truth of God's word, it purifies and heals. But yes, there is a stinging at the outset. It's supposed to be that way. When I'm confronted with my old nature, there's going to be fireworks. Never expect it to be some kind of nice little handshake. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. I'm so glad to know the gospel. You know, oh, I'm a sinner. Oh, that's so wonderful. It's the best news I've heard all day. No, it's like, what do you mean I'm a sinner? (laughs) Right? What do you mean calling me a sinner? I'm not a sinner. You're a sinner. No, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Oh, yeah, well, my sins, you've done worse things than I have. That's probably true. But it's also used for stability, salt. In one of the corners of the four rooms of the court of the women in the temple, they would often have Dead Sea in the corner, And the Dead Sea is mixed with elements in it that uh, weren't good for cooking, but it was good to be used on the ground because it wasn't pure salt. It was was put on the slick marble floors in the court when it would uh, lightly snow or when there would be sleet, which it does in in Jerusalem. At times it does do that. Or when it's wet, they could throw this salt down and and it gives stability to them. In fact... um, I've got two pieces of of salt up here, and this first one was one I got, I think, in 2005, and you can see the strata in it, and it's loaded with all kinds of chemicals, and this is the one I got just a couple of years ago, and um, these things set off alarms and bells and whistles at the Tel Aviv airport because they're loaded with so many chemicals. The the little spectral thing they have, when that thing goes through, they're, oh, they wake up. They're like, what is this guy putting a nuclear bomb going onto the plane? But yeah, it's it's that kind of thing. And since we're talking about salt, you know, when we think about the the Dead Sea, and yes, I'm on a small little tangent here, because this is fun, and I'm immature, so we're going to go with it. The electrolyte composition of the Dead Sea is quite different from the of ordinary seawater. The salt composition of most ocean water is about 97% sodium chloride, whereas the salt comp- composition of these things, of the Dead Sea, is only about 30.4% sodium chloride with additional contributions from calcium chloride, about 14.4%, potassium chloride, about 4.4%, and a shockingly high magnesium chloride, about 50 And so this is a a pretty potent stuff. You never want to eat it. You don't want to drink it. You don't want it getting in your eyes. In fact, you don't want it anywhere near your head. Keep your head above water when you're in the Dead Sea. Otherwise, you'll be going to the hospital really quick. I remember when uh, Pastor Jeff and I and Pastor Scott and Bill Gallatin, when we were over there in, I think it was 2011, um, there was a man on the Dead Sea. He was a Turkish man. Oh, no, he's. Uh, I'm sorry. He was. Uh, uh, I, I think he was an Iranian. I think, and he was there with his family celebrating his birthday. He's probably in his mid to late 60s, and he actually accidentally ingested orally some of the water, just just a little bit, and it sent his body into cardiac arrest, and he died right there on the on the shore. And so salt. This stuff is serious business. 
I brought this up here because we're talking about salt and light. We are to be this salt and light. And salt has a lot of characteristics, a lot of properties, a lot of uses. And even abiding in Christ, it is a stability. Like the women throwing the salt on the ground for stability in the temple, the, the word of God, abiding in Christ, reading and obeying his word, it brings stability, stability to our lives and puts us on the very best footing, doesn't it? It puts me on the very best footing because now my life is built on the rock. It's not on shifting, sinking sand. And as believers, we are the most stable. Certainly spiritually, but even emotionally as well. And as students of the word, we know what's coming. And that's what makes us more stable. We can see what's coming. We know the things that are happening and why they're happening. And we see them ramping up. We also know ultimately who wins the battle. And Jesus wins, and we are victors with him, amen? But notice in verse 14, uh, you are the light of the world. And by the way, I'm going to keep these up here. You can come up and take a look at them. Uh, I would encourage you not to handle them if you can help it, and certainly don't lick them, Um, because I have. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I didn't lick the whole thing and make it really gross. I just touched it to my tongue just because I'm a, a man. And i got to do that because somebody tells me not to do it. What am I going to do? I'm going to do it. Yeah, it's really bad. Don't do it. Don't do it. But notice, you can come up and look at them afterwards. But notice, as you are the light of the world, Jesus says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. In John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. And the light is speaking of Jesus, that all through him might believe. And he was not that light. In other words, John the Baptist was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man who comes into the world. This word light is, is false in the Greek. And it means anything that emits light. But in this context, metaphorically, it's speaking of Jesus Christ being the light. In 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says this. This is the message which we have heard from and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Jesus said in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. And he said in John chapter 12, a little while longer and the light is with you. Speaking of his soon departure, soon the light is going to be taking from you, guys. As Jesus was with those men that had given their hearts and their lives to him, that were following him. Soon I'm going to be crucified, but be encouraged. On the third day I'm going to rise again. And behold, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am you might also be. So Jesus is the light of the world. But notice he tells us in the verse here that we are to be light of the world as well. We don't have this light in, within ourselves uh, apart from him. It is given to us by the Lord, by the presence of his Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of the words by a song by Phil Wickham. It says, if you are the sun, then I want to be the moon. I want to reflect the light that shines from you. Last night I was, went out to our driveway and I was looking up at, the, up at the moon. 
And the sun was hitting it on this side, and I could only see half of the moon because the sun was way over there on the other side of the earth, shining its light on there. And all the light, all the moon was doing is reflecting the light from way over there onto me, onto earth, reflecting whatever light could be seen there. That's the way we need to be. We need to reflect the light of Christ. It is him in us. And because the Holy Spirit is in us, and as believers... And Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. We are one in him as well. What does it say in John chapter 17? Jesus said this in his high priestly prayer to his father. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be also one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I love that. Now, light we know has many uses. Just as salt has many uses, light has many uses, certainly to illuminate, and this can mean physically or spiritually, it certainly exposes darkness, and yes, it even kills viruses and bacteria. I've got this little steri pen that if you were to take a, 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 a cup and go out in the middle of the Adirondacks into a stream, you could pick up a whole thing of water and stick this pen in it and turn it on, and the ultraviolet light would kill everything in it. And you could literally drink the water and you'd be fine. I mean, you might have some stuff floating around in there that, you know, bottoms up, you know. But it's not going to kill you. It kills all the microbes, all of the things that could kill you or hurt you and make you wish you were dead. Right? But that's what light does. And to, it, it illuminates physically. Light, we know, shows us things that we couldn't see otherwise. Without light, we would be bumping into one another. Our life would be meaningless. You know, when you, I remember snorkeling in Florida and in the Florida Keys, and the, the best view is within the water uh, about 20 feet deep. And the reason the colors of the corals and the fish are so vibrant is because light is able to penetrate to a certain level. But after you get beyond 20 feet, the, the, the colors of those things start to fade even though they remain colorful, you can't see them because the light is not permeating that depth and you can't see the true colors of what it is. But without light, it would be dark. And Jesus is the light. You remember on day one of creation in Genesis 1, what did it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Now, isn't this interesting? Because before the sun, the moon, and the stars were created, this light, perhaps the glory of God himself, was the illumination. Now, there's a lot, I'll be honest with you, that I don't understand about this verse. Because when we get into the later verses in, in, in day four of creation, when the sun and the moon and the stars are created, what light is it referring to here? Is it spiritual light? Is it the very glory of God himself? I believe it's very possibly the glory of God himself being made obvious 
Perhaps, perhaps. But I think it's interesting that in the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, it records for us in Revelation 21, in the new heavens and the new earth, which is the eternal state for the believer, it says that the that I saw no temple in it, John says, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is the light. So is it possible that this day one of creation, this light, is the very God manifesting his own glory? It could be. It could be something else. I'm not sure. But whatever it is, it's not the sun and the moon and the stars that give us light as we walk outside. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, God did make the heavens, or he made the, the sun, moon, and the stars. It says, and he, said, he said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let them be for lights in the firmament. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Oh, by the way, he made the stars also. No big deal. Sun, the moon, and he made the stars. He made, you know, it happens, you know. He made the stars. Milky Way galaxy, all this stuff that we can't even, can't even get telescopes to. He made that, all that too. And there's a lot you don't know, a lot of other things you don't know, but that's okay. He made it also, but, you know, you'll never see it until glory. I love it. So the illuminaries, the sun, the moon, they, they bring light upon the earth. So we have physical light. But what about spiritual light? The light of God's word and the light of God's truth. Psalm 19, 119, excuse me, says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is. It's a, meta, it's a metaphor, isn't it? It's not the physical light, but it, there is a light to God's word. His light, your word is a light unto my, or a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Without it, where would we go? It is our guide. He is our guide. He is the word of God, is he not? So thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my... He shows me what I need to know immediately and maybe even illuminates the path ahead of me, but he doesn't give me the big picture because then I wouldn't walk by faith, would I? If I saw everything, I'm like, oh, that's where I need to go, then I'll just walk there. But no, he does it little by little and he encourages our faith all along the way. And see, that's how good... God is, and he's with us. Notice what it says in Proverbs 6, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. In Proverbs chapter 4, it says, but the path of the just is like the shining light, like the shining sun that shines even brighter under the perfect day. But the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And another use of light is to expose darkness. Yes, to expose it. Certainly shining a light does expose, but light has a purpose for us so that we can see. But light, spiritual light, the truth of God, it exposes darkness. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, it says, In him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It didn't seize it. It wasn't, darkness didn't overtake or possess that light, and it certainly didn't understand or perceive the light when it was hit with it. There's nothing worse than a life that is exposed to light and there's no, no change whatsoever. That's a heart that's been seared 
a conscience that has been seared, no longer allowing anything to come in. It's been seared, it's been cut off, and now there's no way for that heart to receive because it's been seared like a hot iron. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, it says, For you were once darkness, Paul says, but now are light in the world, so walk as children of light. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship, notice, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Yes, expose them. Convict them, convince them, rebuke them, reprove them. For it is a shameful thing even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But notice, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Everything that makes manifest is light. Whatever brings the truth to the forefront is light. Whatever is hiding in darkness, whatever exposes that thing in darkness is light. And we need to do that. And that's why we read the Word of God for ourselves and to share with others. Yes, it's, it stings, doesn't it? it it's, it's, it's not easy to receive something like that, especially as an unbeliever, because you don't understand you don't understand. John the Baptist did this when he, when he rebuked Herod Antipas about marrying his brother Philip's wife Herodias. He, he exposed the king's hypocrisy. Jesus did this in Matthew 23. We just read it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. I remember a documentary about a serial killer who was an old man and he hadn't been caught and he had killed all these people. And then later on in life, when he's in his twilight years, thinking he got away with it because technology had advanced, DNA evidence also had advanced, and something was found on the body of one of the victims and it matched his DNA. And all of a sudden they approached him with it and all of a sudden... Uh, the truth starts coming out. He can't deny it. DNA evidence. And they look for others and they find more DNA. Finally, he just finally gives it up and says, okay, I did. I killed all those 30 people. And now he's spending the rest of his life, his you know, twilight years in prison. The truth had a way of finding him out. In fact, in Numbers 32, Moses said this in verse 23 of Numbers 32. He says, take note, you have sinned against the Lord and your sin will surely find you out. That's a scary thing. I don't want to be found out. I like to hide when I've sinned. But God says it's better for you to confess it than for it to be exposed later. So it's important that we, you know, we, we, we expose that sin in our own life. That we confess it. We don't let it linger. We don't let it fester. Important that we do that. And if you're involved in something right now and you haven't got caught, Repent. Repent of it now. Because someday you may think, well, I'm not going to get caught. But trust me, one day you are going to get caught. Jesus said in Matthew 6, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, it's speaking metaphorically of this conscience of mine, then your whole body will be filled full of light. But if your eye is bad, if you fill that heart and that mind full of decay and, and, and sinful things, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Remember that we are to be children of light, not children of darkness. Turn from the darkness. And notice what Jesus said at the end of verse 14. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. 
And certainly I don't believe Jesus is speaking, he could be speaking about Jerusalem, but he's on a hill on the western side of the Galilee, so he's probably, he's speaking about them, the church. You are a city on a hill. You are a city, and that's what we are. The church is supposed to be a city on a hill, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church is restraining the darkness even now until she is removed at the rapture. This is what I wanted to, to, to get to, this, this point, because the things that we have seen over the last two years have not been the labor pains that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24, verse 8. He talks about labor pains before the, in the, great, before the great tribulation. Well, these, what we've experienced, are not those labor pains. I like to call them Braxton Hicks contractions. They are false signs, but they are also telling us hey, you'd better wake up because things are coming. Because right now, there is no, uh, we are not in the tribulation period experiencing the birth pangs. And the reason I know that for a fact is because the Antichrist has not made a treaty with Israel and there's no temple on the Temple Mount being built right now. That has to be happening for the Antichrist to be exalting himself midpoint through that seven-year period. Do you follow me? So we are not in the tribulation. Keep your eyes on Israel and not what somebody says on YouTube. But we are certainly going through the Braxton Hicks contractions. But notice what happens after the church is removed. The unveiling of the man of sin. And and the reason I bring this up is because Jesus said, now you are the light of the world. But once that light is removed from the world, what's going to happen following that? The unveiling of the man of sin, the Antichrist. There's going to be a peace treaty that he will make with Israel to begin rebuilding their temple on the current temple mount. The Antichrist betray, he's going to betray Israel and make his mandate. Yes, don't we love that word mandate you're going to get fired if you don't do this have we heard of that some of you in this room know exactly what i'm talking about you've been fired because you didn't get the jab this is these are braxton hicks contractions little preludes wetting our taste buds conditioning us conditioning us so that when the real thing comes we're like oh i've been here before and most people apart from the church will flock to it like Nothing. But you and I will be removed. And the great tribulation period is going to happen after the church is removed, where God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Yes, on a Christ-rejecting world. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1-8, through 8, I want to read it to you. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. The, the Thessalonian church was confused because they were going through a great tribulation back in the first century. And Paul had told Told them that the church would be raptured, but there, there would be a tribulation period before Jesus came back again. And there were other signs that had to happen um, uh, after the, the church is removed. Other things had to happen. The Antichrist would be revealed. And he tells us right here, he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The falling away. Direct it's a, uh, what's that, um, um, I can't remember my, my English use of speech here. It's a direct, anyway, the 
the, speaking of the, I've got to find where I was here, the falling away, the falling away. The church has been falling away since the beginning of Christ, but this is a very specific moment. The falling away, and some would say that the departure of the church. And I put this book up here for you to take a look at. You might want to get it. It really, I've always saw this verse, uh, uh, this passage as a rapture church, a rapture verse, and it certainly is, but some new revelations about this uh, in in verse 2 and 3 are really even more clear now, and it's even more of a rapture verse uh, to substantiate what that is. But notice what he says, that that day, Christ will not come back until there is a falling away. There has to be a falling away or a departure, which means the the rapture, we believe. And the man of sin then is revealed. That's the order. The church is removed. The man of sin is revealed. Revealed the son of perdition who exalts and opposes himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And then he summarizes it here again, and he says, And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed, meaning the Antichrist will be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That is the Spirit of God in the church. The church has to be removed. And then, verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Because we, the church, are the light of the world as well, we will stick out and we will be a pain in the side of the world for a time. But the light that is in you is bringing conviction to those around you. Have you ever noticed around family or friends, they'll, they'll, start, they'll swear or they'll say an off-color joke and then they look over at you and go, oops, sorry. <laughs> Why do they do that? Because conviction. They know where you stand. And if their conscience was completely seared, they would just com- continue to spew out their vile venom. But then they have a conscience and the Spirit of God in you is convicting them. You are the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. We looked at that, but he also says, now you are the light of the world too because my spirit is in you. But once the church is removed, once the light is removed, then the darkness is going to overflood this world like we've never seen before. You think COVID was bad and all the things that they're trying to do right now and trying to bring in communism and all that, you think that's bad. Well, it's going to get a lot worse, folks. We may have a reprieve. We may. I don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us America's going to have a little, a little um, American spring. We, don't, we have no idea. We have no idea. But I do know the end game. And the end game is looking an awful lot like what's happening now with our Braxton Hicks contractions that we're having. And it's not just America. It's all over the world, isn't it? A city that is set on a hill. You are the lights, the city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. What a joy it is when you're lost out in the forest. Maybe you're out in a, driving your car out and 
Wayne County one night and you hit a bump in the middle of the winter time and you're, you go off the road and you have no idea where you're at. The snow is coming down so hard. And you walk a mile and you're thinking, I'm going to die out here. And all of a sudden you look up and you see a hill and there's a house with lights on. And you're thrilled because you know you're not going to die. <laughs> Providing that the owners let you in, of course. We are that city on a hill. Church, we are that city on a hill. We are lights of Christ to a dying world, even if they don't acknowledge it. And we have this truth, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, don't we, as Paul said? And he says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. It's important that that happens. In Revelation, it talks about a lampstand, and, and uh, John, giving, given this vision of Christ amidst the churches, he says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And Jesus is standing amidst his church and they are lampstands and we are supposed to be a witness we are like to be that river in psalm 1 planted by the rivers of water where our leaf is healthy because we're receiving the nutrients from the water and we're we're being a, attached to the vine like it says in john chapter 15 where jesus says i am the vine and you are the branches abide in me and i in him and and he will bear much fruit that those are the things that we need to do we need to See that fruit of, of our confession in Christ. May it be real and evident to all around us. Are we witnesses of Jesus Christ or are we Christians in name only? And there are a lot of people today filling churches that are Christians in name only. They don't have a saving faith. They come because they feel good or they, they come because they, they, they want to hopefully feel good. But they've never made the, the exchange of this old nature for the new one. They're still in their sins and they've never confessed. They've never repented. They continue on and they continue on in their rebellion. And they don't turn. They don't confess their sin. But if we are not salt and light to this world, we have become of little use. It doesn't mean that we are going to lose our salvation, but even Jesus told the church of Ephesus in uh, chapter 2 of Revelation, he says, remember therefore, uh, remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yes, we can lose our effectiveness. We can lose our lampstand, our, our witness in the community. It doesn't mean that we've lost our salvation. But I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose anything. I want everything that Jesus has for me. Do you? Raise your hand if you do. And, and, and if you don't, don't raise your hand. You don't want to be a hypocrite. I mean, I really do. I want all that Jesus has for me. A lampstand brings light into an area. Why would you put it under a basket? You're going to catch it on fire and burn down your house. But that is what may be happening to the church in America today. Maybe we are losing our lampstand. And it's a question I pose to you. Are you, what is your personal walk? Now, what I'm going to share with you may affect some of us. 
It may have nothing to do with any of you, but I can tell you the church in America, we are not walking the way we ought to. We have, and we've, we've gotten involved with other lovers other than Jesus Christ, and the world, they, they see us as unnecessary, non-essential, and no really different from them because, and if we are no different from the world, then why should they listen to anything we have to say? One gentleman said this, he says, the world has only contempt for an undedicated believer. We may be perceived as just being a little more conservative than the unbeliever in the world. That is why we have to be careful about politics and those kinds of things, that they don't get a soft course. As Christians, yes, we are dual citizens. We are citizens of heaven, and we're citizens of New York State. And yes, vote, and vote based upon the things that matter to God. Vote based on the worldview that you get from the Word of God. But don't allow your politics to keep you from ministering the gospel to someone on the other side of the aisle that you don't agree with, because Christians today are morphing into something really dangerous and I understand it to some extent, but we've got to be really careful. You may be, if you're a Christian, you may be a Republican, you may be a Democrat. But if you're a Republican, are you going to reach over and, and, and minister to somebody? Do you really care who the, what party they vote? I could care less. But there are people who are like, I don't like that person because they voted for so-and-so. Folks, we have to get, our, we have to get around that. I mean, I'm as much of a patriot and a country. I love this country. I'm a Republican. I'm, not, I'm a conservative. I'm not ashamed to admit it. But if that keeps me from ministering and being open and honest and loving to somebody who is on the other side of the fence, there's something wrong with me. And I need to repent. I need to repent. I could care less what party you're affiliated with. You have the same disease that I do, and it's sin. And without Christ, you're going to hell just like I was. So I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't care what you do with your party affiliation after you get saved. That's between you and the Lord. But we have to be honest with ourselves. Where's our lampstand in this country? Where's Calvary Chapel's lampstand? Do we have a lampstand? And again, I'm not picking on you specifically, but I will say this. If the shoe fits, I better be willing to wear it. I better be willing to acknowledge it and say, you know what, Lord, there are some things that I need to change. Be honest with yourself. Are you in the game? Are you a spectator? America, the church in America is in a really bad place because many in the church in America, maybe they attend once a week services. Unless their favorite team is on, you know, on Sunday afternoon, and therefore they won't come to church. Many in the Church of America only read their Bibles a couple times a week, maybe. And many no longer give like they used to give. Many no longer go to a physical church building to fellowship with believers, but will visit two or three online services of mainstream megachurch pastors, even though they are healthy and low risk, and therefore they can come to church, they don't. And many in the church in America no longer go to prayer meetings. And many in the church in America, especially after COVID, have gotten used to not inviting other members of the church over for dinner and fellowship at their houses. We've become very used to being, it was a great excuse, COVID. We could just push everybody off of bay. Well, COVID can't, you know, sorry. <coughs> Keeping everybody at bay. And has that changed? I hope it has. But many in the Church of America 
no longer tolerate worship unless it's, a, unless it's a song that makes them feel good and the band is really hot and the lights are happening, the smoke's rolling off the stage. If it's not happening, I'm not worshiping. Because many in the church have a wrong understanding of what worship is. Worship is not about me. It's about Christ. Never forget that. Even if we had Sarah up here on a one-string banjo singing, How Great Is Our God, we better sing and worship. And we can and should. Even if the string is out of tune. You follow? We can and we should. Who cares whether we have a pipe organ, whether we have a pianist, whether we have a, a small worship team or a large worship team? Are we walking in the Spirit? Can we worship regardless? Is it about how I feel about the worship? No, it has nothing to do with how you feel at all. You worship because he is worthy. We worship him because of who he is. It has nothing to do with me. Yes, it is a joy, isn't it, when we're worshiping? It is a joy to worship Jesus, and it does affect us in a positive way. Hopefully, if you're alive and you got air breathing, if you're breathing air, it should affect you, and you're like, I love this. Because I'm singing about my king. I'm able to express it. There is joy. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, it's not about me. But there are people in the church in America that won't tolerate worship unless all the things, all these bells and whistles are there. And there are people in the church of America who serve themselves instead of others. There are people in the church in America who have fallen away. None of you, because you're here, Every pastor I've talked to after, during COVID and afterwards, many people have fallen away from the faith. They've walked away from Christ. And many churches in America, many people in the church in America, were never saved in the first place. They came, but they weren't regenerated. Finally, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This light that we have in us, the Holy Spirit, again, is not just for ourselves, is it? This light has a purpose. It has a function. God has placed us here in the world for a, a reason, for a purpose. It is for others to see that they might glorify our Father, which is in heaven. And even God's ministers aren't given just as a means to themselves. No, they are there to benefit others. And Jesus, in Ephesians, it says, And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. They're not even there for themselves. They're there to equip others. So it's not about me either. We are to be ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, now, when, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what it's all about. We are ambassadors. And we don't do good works to earn salvation, but rather we do them because we are saved. Paul in Philippians said this, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Most people stop right there. Work out your own salvation. Well, the salvation was given to you at a price. And you're working out something that God has done in you. 
You're not mustering it up yourselves. It, it comes from outside of you. So when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you've got to go on to verse 13 to find out what it's really all about. For it is God who works in you. It doesn't even originate from me, but it is God who works in you first to will and then to do of his good pleasure. He changes our will. He gives me a will to do something different. And then once he changes my will, that is the hardest part. And then I'm willing to do but until my will is bent on me and my and myself, I'm going to be wrestling with God my whole life until I finally say, Lord, my life belongs to you and I'm done. It belongs to you. And when we finally do that, we say, your will be done. He's like, oh, great. I've been waiting for 40 years for this. Don't worry, 40 years. I did that with Moses too. I waited for him for 40 years in the wilderness before I brought a, you know, used him to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So don't be worried about how long it takes. Just be concerned that it happens, <laughs> right? It happens. To will and to do of his good pleasure. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Not of works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So be children of light. Be salt and light. We looked at the, the different uses for salt and the different uses for light. And Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and that they might glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you desire that? I desire that. I want him. Do you want him? I know that we say we want him, but you know what? Can you, you don't have to make any vow here or anything like this, but I just want to encourage you this week to really examine these things. Maybe even listen to this again and read the scriptures over again. Folks, now is the time. This is the church's greatest, one of our greatest moments in history. I consider it a privilege to be alive at this time, even though it's been the hardest time of my life. I've never seen our country being overtaken by communists. And it's happening. It's alarming. And you may not believe that, and that's okay. It's breaking my heart. And it's breaking my heart that people haven't come to Christ. It's breaking my heart to see people walking away from God. It's breaking my heart to see young people being subjected to the garbage that's happening in the school system. It's breaking my heart to see kids on little poles and being encouraged to do things like drag queens and, and these people on swinging around on poles and wearing the rainbow flag. It's breaking my heart. You know why? Because it's breaking God's heart. And the whole critical race theory, they place different names on it now because they want to stay away from the CRT because everybody's, oh, but now they change the name. Oh, oh what is that? Oh, don't worry about it. It's nothing. Yeah, they just changed the name. We live in the generation of changing definitions. Once that definition, once that name becomes associated with something evil, they'll just change the name. And then they have all the... I'm going way too far here. Be light. Be salt. 
expose those things of darkness. But be first, be willing to look and expose the own, your own things in your own heart. And let's love people. Yes, you can expose things and be kind and loving. You don't have to be walking around yelling at people with a Bible. You don't have to be rude and, and uns- insensitive. You don't have to be uncompassionate. You can be loving and compassionate, and you can expose things. I need that. We need to be lights, and we need to be salt in this earth. And don't worry about anything else. Don't let any of these other demographics get in the way. Whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, let nothing get in the way, regardless of what ethnicity you're from. Don't let anything get in the way. Nothing should be in the way. All you see is a person who is a candidate for salvation. Let that be the thing that drives you, because that is the only thing that God cares about. He cares about people. He cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about all those who are lost and those who are completely living in deception. So let's walk as children of light. Amen? All right, I know I've kept you long enough. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. Make us those children of salt and light. And Lord, help us to be loving and compassionate. In spite of all of these difficult things, Father, that we're experiencing, Lord, there's a temptation for us to be angry and frustrated. But Lord, remove those things from our lives and help us to spread the gospel, Lord, to be faithful in the word of God to not only ourselves, but to all those around us, Lord, how we look forward to what you're going to do in and through us, Lord. So we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.